In our Christian walk, it's easy to get distracted, isn't it? We may start out desiring to be sold out to the Lord, but as time goes on, we tend to want to invest our lives in the here and now. Things like our work, our hobbies, our own goals. Hi, I'm David Dennis with the Kansas Communities Ministry with the Navigators. Thank you so much for joining us. Today we start a three-part series on the topic of the importance of investing in things that will matter for eternity. Our speaker is Richard Spann. Dr. Spann was the ministry director for the Kansas Communities Ministry for some 26 years and is a retired pulmonary physician. This podcast is from a talk that Richard gave at a conference in January 2018. I'm a physician. I trained in uh, pulmonary disease. And um, when people would ask what I would do, uh, the first reply that I would say, well, I'm a pulmonologist. And they'd say, a what? And that would not communicate very well. So then I would say, well, I'm a chest doctor. And then they would say, well, doc, I've got this rash on my chest. <laughs> and so I learned to tell them that I'm a doctor of diseases with especially in sneezes and wheezes. So that's what I did for my career. In the last probably six, seven years, I worked in intensive care, worked with computers, and computers and I have never really gotten along. And I was hoping that I would finish my career without ever having to touch one. But they, it didn't work. They put one on my desk, and there it stood for five, six years. Then I used it for a coat rack until I had a resident once that taught me how to put a screensaver on it. And that was nice. I could watch those pictures. But I never did touch the thing. And then when I transferred to intensive care, after that computer had been on my desk for years, the uh, gal came up to me and asked me what, what my password was. I said, well, I don't have one. She said, well, you, you've worked for Via Christi, haven't you, for six, seven years? I said, yeah. So well, you got to have one. So she went on my computer, and she found about 2,000 messages there. <laughs> and uh, she said, do you want to read those? And I said, no, I want to learn how to erase them. I said, my life has been complete without looking at a one of them. So uh, that's the way I started my exposure to computers. But later on in intensive care, I worked with actually two computers and about four or five screens. We took a look at all the patients' rooms, all the nurses, in about four different hospitals throughout Kansas, all the way from Pittsburgh to Manhattan and several in Wichita. But I retired from that about five years ago. I worked as a navigator now about 26 years. Chris and Dave and I want to visit with you about discipleship. We're going to approach this a little differently. We're each going to take one area of topic. And the one that I'm going to hit on first is really the importance of discipleship. Why be even involved in discipleship? And it has to do with eternity, making an investment for eternity. And I think, number one, when we think of an investment for eternity, uh, we have to determine what is of eternal significance. There are things which are temporal or temporary significance, then there are things which are of eternal significance. The things that are of temporary significance are legion, and we see those all the time. And the question is, what do you want to give your life in exchange for? One of the individuals that I know that has worked in Wichita for years, every time I see him, 
I asked him, well, Bill, what, what is your, what are you doing? What, well, my wife and I, we want to play golf in all 50 states. And that's what he was living for. And, and he finally did that a couple of years ago. But that was his, that was kind of his life goal. I was at a funeral not long ago. And the main thing that was said about this lady uh, that stood out was that she had visited 104 countries. That's what she gave her life in exchange for. So hobbies may be a certain thing, maybe a career. It may be that you want to give your life for your career. I had a friend who, when he had internal medicine residents or interns, he would set a glass of water on the table and he'd say, now put your finger in that glass and pull it out. He says, that's the hole you leave when you're gone from your career. And uh, I know in my career, I worked as an intensivist and pulmonary disease physician for some 40 years. At the end of that time, when I closed that out, turned in my beeper, I called the, the operator at the uh, Wesley Medical Center and said, I'm turning off my beeper. I'm no longer available for call. I'm kind of retiring from this area of my life. And she said, that's too bad. We'll miss you. Bye. <laughs> and that was it. That's the impact you leave with the career. Maybe financial. And I recall someone after J.D. Rockefeller died, um, they said, well, he was talking to another fellow. He says, well, how much did J.D. Rockefeller leave? And the other fellow said, well, he left all of it. <laughs> he left all of it. Ecclesiastes says we heap up wealth not knowing who will get it, not knowing who will, who will inherit that. So it may be financial, maybe a business. Most businesses that, uh, that you try to build an empire are gone in two or three generations. And all that's left ultimately at that time is just your little marker, your little gravestone marker. And even that we discovered, uh, you know, my wife has been involved in genealogy and we've kind of track down our third, fourth generation back, and there's a, a gal, we can't even find her tombstone. If we go to, go back a couple more generations beyond that, we don't even know who they are. <coughs> so that's that's the temporary. Looking at the eternal, there's a fellow by the name of Walt Hendrickson, H-E-N-R-I-C-H-S-E-N. He wrote a book, Disciples Are Made, Not Born. He was a young man working in the, uh, in the fields, in railroads, did a lot of work out there with a pickaxe in high school, and he saw these other people, the engineers, who were driving up in cars with slide rules and suits. He said, I want to be one of them. I want to do what they do. Found out they were building bridges. He said, well, I'm going to build bridges for a living. About that time, he came to know Christ personally, started reading in the scriptures, and he found out in Second Peter that God was going to, at some point in time, destroy his bridges. <laughs> they were going to be gone. He said, well, I want to give my life for what's eternal, for what lasts for all eternity. So he looked through the scriptures, and uh, he went through them one by one, he told me, and he found two things that last for eternity. One is the word of God, and this is the first verse we have here, Isaiah 48. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of our God stands forever. Not only in this life, but it will have, God will somehow use that in our lives to reflect back on, I think, in the world to come. And the second thing he found was the souls of people. In John 5, 28-29, says, Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. 
those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. So that's what he gave his life to. And I remember him sharing that with me uh, in, a, in a public sort of way at a very interesting time in my life. For From high school on, I had decided I wanted to be a physician, so I went through four years of medical school, four years of college, four years of medical school, a year of internship in Kansas City, four years of residency training in Minnesota, and I came back to Wichita after some 13 years and my goal was to set up a practice, was to set up a practice and uh, have, a, have a career. At that time, I was married. We had one daughter at a nice home. And within a year or two, I'd passed the boards. I had a busy practice. And all of a sudden, I looked around, and all of those goals had been met. Everything that I'd worked for was, was there. And it was kind of a void or a blank. And I thought, well, what do I do now? Now that I've achieved this, this has been my goal. And about that time, the church that we were attending just kind of dissolved. There was some squabbling, and the people that we knew in the church were no longer there. There was a void there as well. And I thought about Walt's words, and I thought, well, I can focus on the Word of God. And I began pouring through word, the Word of God. And, and looking, interestingly enough, at Revelation and seeing really a little bit more about eternity. What is of eternal significance? And I found it was the, like Walt said, the Word of God and the souls of people. And I thought, you know, who are the primary people that God has put me around? Well, one was my wife. So I thought, well, I'm going to major on her. I'm going to set apart time for her because I was getting busy. So from that day till now, Tuesday and Friday noon, those are her days. That's when I have lunch with her. I resolved to never never have supper by myself. I was going to have that with her. Even if I needed to go back to the hospital, I would have that for her. I would focus on her. The same with our, our daughter at that time. A lot of my partners were using their afternoon off to further their business career. But I thought, I'm going to use that and make that available to my family. The other thing the Lord impressed upon me was, was people. And the church had kind of disappeared. We didn't really have anyone really to reach out to except our neighborhood. So my wife and I, we prayed together and we thought, well, how does God want us to reach out? How can we make a difference? So we invited all of our neighbors around to a Bible city. We'd never had one before. We didn't know what we were doing. Had no materials. I'd never heard of the navigators at that point. We went down to Better Book Room and started thumbing through the list of the Bible studies. And my wife had been to a women's group called Cornerstone Fellowship. And so she said, let's try that one. So we picked that up. It was called the Living the New Life Cornerstone Bible Study Fellowship, Bible Study. So we got a bunch of them. We invited all of our neighbors, and they all came. Mystery enough. I mean, we didn't know these people very well. But God was having us reach out even then, I think, to begin the seeds for something that was of eternal significance. And I think that is simply through considering the words that he has written here in Isaiah and John. And I have learned over the years that this is certainly true, and the Lord has enabled me to continue to use that investment. The second thing that I think, is, and I'm, I'm listing a number of things that have helped me and others, I think, obtain this eternal perspective, but one of them is that we need to develop a scriptural perspective of time, and I'm going to look at that in several areas. 
One is that we have a limited amount of time. Psalm 912 says, So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Now, I have a friend who actually did that. He was about 40, and he thought, okay, if I live to 80, that's 40 times 365. So I wrote that number out on a sheet of paper. I don't think that's what God had in mind, but I think there was a thought that, you know, we need to use these days wisely. And uh, I had a friend that uh, I see occasionally. He works at an inner-city church. But he was telling me just a couple of weeks ago, I was down doing a medical clinic at his church, he said, you know, I was really adrift until I developed prostate cancer about 14 years ago. And the Lord really got my attention, helped me know that my days are numbered, and I better start using them in a way that's going to make a difference for eternity. He's become a part of that church, is active in its ministry, helps establish a medical clinic, has ministered to a number of people. had a patient some years ago as well that described a similar near-death experience. Where when he came out of that, he said, the Lord really impressed upon me that I really wasn't doing what he'd asked me to do. He said, I knew Christ, but I was not communicating that to anyone. And so this patient made a tape of his experience, and he began going around to each one he knew and giving them that tape with his testimony. So I think the Lord really impressed upon him and challenged him in that way. James 4.14 is another verse that says, Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Other translations say a breath. And there was a speaker in the Navigators, Leroy Ives was his name, who used to say, uh, a breath is like this. That's your life. He says, now you cannot do this. If you do, you've doubled your life expectancy. It's just one breath, not two. It's very brief. And there are a number of things that God reveals to us in our life that tells us the brevity of that. I remember about 20 years ago, I developed some atrial fibrillation problem. And my partner, who's a cardiologist, gave me some medicine. Uh, atrial fibrillation, by the way, is just an irregular heartbeat which sometimes you tolerate pretty well, but other times has complications. Mine was tolerated pretty well, but he wanted to control it. Gave me some medication, which made me real tired. And he said, that's not working. I'm going to put you in the hospital. We're going to try this other medicine, which shouldn't have any side effects except one. And I said, well, that's good. That's good. He said, well, I said, what's that side effect? Well, your heart could stop. (laughs) Your heart could stop, so we're going to put you in the hospital. We're going to monitor you and make sure that you tolerate this medicine. So it's kind of a wake-up call there for that breath. And then also in, our, in the Scripture, we're given directions for the correct use of time. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16 says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. It's easy to slide by day after day and think, well, this person that needs some help has asked me to contact them, or this need that I see over here, or this individual, a patient or partner or employee has a need, has an issue, and I'll deal with that someday. And I can recall several issues in my life where an individual asked for help say, I need some help in this area. And I said, well, I'm going to look for a group that you can join. And I put it off, and I put it off. 
And before long, that individual was gone, sucked off into some sort of a, a church that was very, very uh, liberal, not really teaching them the truth at all. And every time I drive by that neighborhood, I think that's a reminder to me not to put off till tomorrow what I need to do today. I had a patient uh, from uh, Iran, Iranian student, and I got to know him, spent some time with him. We were starting to look at the gospel together. Uh, but he'd asked me to really commit to a little bit more time uh, to him and some of his college work and some of the things he was doing. And I really shirked back from that, knowing that it would cost me what I would want it, what I'd rather do. And at that point in time, my pulling back really stopped the relationship. Yeah, I was nearly not able to continue what God wanted me to do in his life. And I think of that as well. And I think, again, that I need to take advantage of the opportunities the Lord gives. That is so key, isn't it? How can we correctly invest our time and talents in the things that will last for eternity? Richard has helped us understand the great importance of doing this consistently. Join us next time as he reminds us all of the battle we are in for the souls of men and women, right here on Making Disciples Naturally. The views expressed on this podcast are those of the speakers and are not necessarily the views of the navigators, nor of the Kansas Communities Ministry. Thank you for listening.